New findings out from the folks at uh, 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 in Chicago today. Uh, we're going to talk about electric vehicles. And by the way, EVs accounted for less than 8% of global sales last year and just under 10% in the first quarter of 22. However, this is the finding we're here to talk about this morning. Uh, the folks at Alex Partners say electric vehicle sales could reach 33% globally in the next five or six years and up to 54% by 2035. Of course, we're talking about supply and demand, and the demand is increasing. Here to talk more about these findings is John Lohr. Mr. Lohr is a managing director in the automotive and industrial practice with Alex Partners on the line from Chicago. John, good morning and welcome to our show, sir. Good morning. Very nice to talk with you today, Sterling. Well, it's good to have you with us. And let me just add another finding here, John. I don't know whether you know about this, but this is a survey that's out recently from the folks at Ernst & Young here in Canada. Quote, nearly half of Canadians planning to buy a car say they will choose to go electric as concerns over cost, range, and the ability to charge continue to drop. John, that's brand new. That we just found out about yesterday, and I'm sure that you would find it dovetailing nicely with what you've been finding finding and surveying the marketplace lately. That's right. We, uh, what we see is that it's a very exciting time for electric vehicles. They've been very successful at the high end of the market. And the real question and uh, challenge for the industry is, will they migrate from the top end into a mass market product? Yep. And that's going to depend on what, just what you talked about. It's going to depend on issues of cost and range for the mass market consumer. Well, and already, John, we're seeing some of the models, Kia, for example, and Nissan, they both got, uh, shall we say, mid-priced models. They, they're the low end for the, for the electric vehicle market, but in terms of pricing comparatively with other vehicles, they're now very attractively priced versus a lot of the Teslas and others that are just out of a lot of pre- people's affordability range. That's right. And that's what it's going to take. You know, a lot of people uh, in the industry, in many industries, they'll run these so-called life cycle cost calculations. Basically, the argument you pay more for the vehicle up front, but then you save money on fuel. Right. Uh, And that's technically true. In fact, it's becoming more true now that gas prices are really going up. And that does increase sales at the margin. But what we find is in order for the mass market to really pick up and these vehicles to penetrate into double-digit percentages or even half the market like it could be, it's got to be pretty close to the same price right out the door as a gasoline vehicle. Right. And that's very challenging. Uh, and that's a that's a big challenge for the industry. Well, you know, again, back to this uh, survey in Canada that I'm uh, combining with your findings recently, John. Uh, for example, regionally, uh, there's a, there are uh, clearly uh, divisions in uh, Canadian consumers, as I'm sure there are in the United States. For example, here in BC, 54% of people saying they're thinking about buying uh, some kind of electric vehicle. The lowest interest on the prairies. In the middle of the country, only 25% of those polled, John, said they were thinking about an EV, and there's the crowd that relies on their vehicles for work purposes more than pleasure. And uh, that crowd seems to be the least uh, willing to buy in. Yeah, and we see the same kind of things in the U.S. as well, is that people who live in cities who don't really drive very far that uh, they're very excited about the electric field. Often they're a bit more affluent as well yep. and, uh, and trade their cars in more often. When you look at uh, in the heartland, if you will, whether it's, uh, you know, in Canada or in the U.S., people drive much further. They may be single vehicle households. Uh, they, they need to drive hundreds of miles. And it's very difficult to have a dense charging infrastructure for that. And so we would expect 
the growth to be uh, first in the major cities, but the uh, the prairie areas are probably going to be the slowest to pick up. And let's talk about those cities, if you can, in Chicago and Vancouver and Toronto and Washington. They're, they're all, all the municipal governments are compelling developers now, John, to build charging facilities into all of their new buildings and that sort of thing. The municipal governments at all levels in all types of cities seem to be very on side with EVs and are rushing through support legislation. Yes, this charging infrastructure is really becoming uh, the critical factor, right? Yep. If we think of the, the progress of electric vehicles, there was a lot of work, a lot of research, fundamental research in batteries, and battery prices have come down tremendously, although there's, they still need to come down even further to get to that cost parity we talked about. Then the car companies invested uh, massive amounts of money. We see uh, over five-year periods the, the auto industry investing $500 billion dollars. Uh, and that's doubled from what it was two years ago. So massive investment to put these vehicles into service and launch these vehicles. But now the final piece of it will be where are they going to be charged? Right. And for people who have a house with a garage, they have an answer. But for people who don't have a garage or who need to go further, that's when we need this public infrastructure or, or some infrastructure away from the home. It's it's a debate. Is it funded by uh, by public money or by private developer money, as you said? But uh, when we look at how much money has been committed to that, it's nowhere close to, to what would be needed to support, say, half the fleet being electric vehicles. Yeah, and the and other. So I think that's going to be a gating factor. Indeed, and uh, the other factor that needs to be included that's becoming more and more prevalent during discussions, John, because of course the attraction of EVs is that they're not internal combustion; they don't take fossil fuels, etc. Carbon footprint. We know the drill. However, now the discussion is becoming: What are we going to do with all of those batteries? All of these battery requirements for all of these vehicles are going to end up in some kind of junk heap somewhere down the road. What are we going to do with all those blinking batteries? You know, that's a very interesting point. There is, uh, it's, I'd say, more of a research technology right now, but there is a lot of work trying to recycle these batteries. And I think ultimately, uh, five years or so from now, we will have commercially viable battery recycling facilities. That, that, that is what happens in lead-acid batteries, for example. Sure. Uh, it, it, that's one of the great recycling loops uh, literally in the world. Something like 95% of lead in lead-acid batteries is recycled. Uh, which is great environmentally, and it's great for cost. Uh, now, it's much easier to get the lead out of a conventional 12-volt lead-acid car battery than it is to extract all these metals, nickel, cobalt, and lithium from a lithium-ion battery. Uh, it's a much, much more difficult process, but there are multiple companies working on it, and I do think we are going to see some measure of success uh, from that. Well, I mean, if you can come up with an electric car, surely to goodness, one of your people can come up with something to do with the battery of said electric car once it's expired. Uh, challenging stuff and exciting times for people in the EV business. John Laura, thanks very much for the update from Chicago. We appreciate your joining our show today very much. Thank you, Sterling. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.